I think we have to assume that risk comes with life. And if you're not taking risks, then you're playing it probably a little too safe. Hey friend, it's David Abinsky here in New York City. So excited for this podcast episode with Natalie Sportelli. Natalie is the content and brand manager at leading VC venture capital firm, Lair Hippow. I initially found out about Natalie and really love the insights that she shared on Twitter. Uh, we talk about how Twitter can be helpful to build a personal brand, how she tweets and how she thinks about uh, using Twitter, which is a powerful tool to share your ideas. Uh, we also talk about the many different projects that Natalie works on, why she works on them. We also talk about reaching out to people to go after roles and also overcoming fear in publishing your work. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There, you can also subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Natalie. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, so one place I wanted to talk about was, uh, it's really interesting now how like, writing online and being a writer is like deemed all the rage or a superpower skill. But I think you studied English and writing in college. Uh, has that been interesting to you to kind of see the change in landscape and about writing and content? Yeah, so um, I've talked with folks a little bit about this, especially like as they've tried to get into blogging and writing. And one thing that's really difficult for people is talking like themselves. And that might seem counterintuitive, but blogging and trying to sound authentic to your own voice is really difficult because our whole lives we've been writing papers for school, we've been sending emails, we've had to adopt different personas in our writing, um, especially for brand people who are representing brands and having to speak for brands, talking like ourselves is hard. Um, so I think the rise of writing as a way to build brands and you know personal brand today is really popular because you can build a following people can get to know you but tapping into what you actually want to say and being you know affirmative and how you feel about you know presenting yourself like that is definitely a challenge and uh has it been like did you think that you would work in content and branding when you were in college and has it been interesting to see the shift yeah so um actually my first published article was in high school and my mom had read in the newspaper that they were creating a teen voices page, which would be fully written by local teenagers in high school. And she really liked the idea of me um, writing for it. And I kind of dragged my feet a little bit. But um, so I've actually been writing since the seventh grade and, and publishing. So that kind of led into different internships and editorial and being a reporter. And I didn't really even know that this job existed. Um, I knew that there was such thing as content marketing, but the idea of building brands and writing for businesses was really appealing to me um, because I liked the idea of building community around, you know, how customers are interacting with a company. And we all have brands that we love so much. And part of the way that we build affinity for them is through the way they talk to us. So I did not have any sense that I would end up in this career, but I do kind of see why the flow makes sense. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned a lot about writing online and, and being yourself and the benefits of it. How, how, how have you kind of seen that play out? You said you started writing early and I mean, I, I follow you on Twitter a bunch and uh, if people don't, they really should uh, because of how I've been able to get to know you through uh, what you share online. 
uh, maybe talk about writing online and Twitter and kind of building an audience around being yourself. Yeah, so I talk to a ton of people in VC and tech basically about how to build personal brands and how to talk online. And one of my pieces of advice is to create like a huge draft folder of ideas that you have and just write anything that comes to mind. One thing that I think is really tough for people who are trying to start blogging and writing newsletters and being creative and, you know, tweeting is time blocking for themselves saying like, okay, for the next hour, I'm going to tweet or the next hour, I'm going to create like, you know, a blog post. I just don't think people are creative like that. Um, One thing I suggest is like real time writing. So if the minute you get an idea, start writing things down, everyone can have a different approach to, you know, how they tweet or how they blog or what they say in their newsletter, but using it as an outlet for creativity instead of something that feels like a chore is almost always going to work better and appeal to people and be more fun in the long run. Hmm. And that seems to be the, the challenge for people is like separating the, what they think they should do versus maybe something that they're interested in or want to do. Yeah. So, I mean, I think anyone who thinks about like what, who speaks to them online? Who are they reading? Um, you know, who do they follow on Twitter? There's always a voice there. There's always like a person behind, you know, the words. And so the more that you can make how you sound on the internet, how you want to be perceived and how can connect to people, uh, the better it'll be for your own community and like how you'll bring and convert followers across places. Like, so I recently launched a newsletter and I wasn't sure how many followers I would get, how many subscribers I would get from it. But I kind of approached the marketing of it and how I talked about it in a way that I talk about other things online. And I ended up getting, you know, hundreds of subscribers in the first day. And I was like, oh, wow, this is great. Um, But I also realized like, okay, this is, you know, this is an indication that people want to hear more of what I'm saying in a different format. So, you know, feeding into like, what do people like hearing from you? How can you say more of that? And how can you like keep it to your voice? Because talking not in your voice for extended periods of time, you kind of forget who you are online. And it's really hard to kind of go back to that once you've built a brand focused on a couple of things and a specific voice. And I can see how that translates to the professional work that you do as well with working with brands and companies, brands and stuff like that too. Yeah. So speaking as a brand and speaking as a company is very different than speaking as a human. Um, it's kind of funny because you can think of examples of when businesses try to talk like people and it's really cringy because you're like, wait a minute, like you're selling me like chicken nuggets. Why are you, why are you talking to me? Like, you know, my friends or something. Right. But businesses who can do a really good job, um, connecting with people through voice and through the ways that they're marketing themselves or connecting with customers are always going to succeed and do better. And so I think whether you're a business or whether you're a person, if you can build a community of people who care about what you have to say and are interested in learning more about what you do, whether they're a customer or client or just a Twitter follower, you can bring that throughout your career because now you've had people who are invested and interested in you. And that is just setting a foundation for anything you want to do really later in life. Yeah. And that's that's also a really interesting point you brought up before about with your newsletter, how like you didn't know what was going to happen until you put something out and then like any piece of content, right? Like you put it out and then the market decides. And in your case, you had a lot more subscribers than you initially expected. I was really nervous to send my first one because um, 
anytime you're publishing anything that's like, this is a thought piece or I'm a thought leader, you know, it's, you're really standing on your own perspectives and your own expertise on something. I talk with a ton of people about imposter syndrome when it comes to publishing and becoming, you know, a person on the internet. And it's kind of like jumping in the pool. Like, you know, the pool is going to be awesome, but it's going to be scary to, to jump in there. Um, but once you're in, it's fine. So getting over that initial anxiety and nervous energy around publishing something like as an expert is tough. It takes a lot of workshopping and validation. And I run things by, you know, people in my network all the time before I publish. So I think bringing in extra people who can like say, this is smart. Like, I like what you're saying is going to get people over the hump to actually publish something. Yeah. I started a podcast through a, a workshop and so I was with, you know, a couple hundred other people that were podcasters as well. So that really helped me get over the hump um, and do it with other people. So, yeah, no, other people saying that something sounds smart or they would read it, um, you know, even, even like beta testing with a couple people, I think I'm going to follow this format. What do you think? Those are all ways just to validate your idea, because if you're just like sitting with something for a long time by yourself. It's hard to know, again, like what you just said, how the market's going to react. So like test with your market, um, workshop tweets. I do that all the time. Is this funny? Like, do you like this? Like, it, there are ways to um, safeguard the reaction, the more involved people feel in the production of something. Workshopping tweets. Can Tell me a little bit more about that. Usually I'll just like write something and then show my partner. I'm like, is this funny? Do, do you like this? And then I'll send it. So I'll have like one, at least one person thinking this is dumb or like, this is funny or you sound smart. Those are my three categories really for tweets. Dumb, smart, funny. Yeah. Is this not passable? Is this passable? Is it a joke? <laughs> I like it. All right. And you also mentioned kind of like the arc of like how writing and content and branding kind of all makes a little bit of sense now, but correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't some of your some of your jobs that went at Forbes and their hip out kind of roles that you created or new roles? Yeah, so um, you know, I had a couple of internships in college that were in. So I worked at my college's communications office for four years, which was amazing because I was working in print and digital and social, and um, just like kind of doing whatever was needed of me. And I think one way to build your career and kind of help create roles is like what's needed of you. And then also like, what can you pitch that is going to be uniquely suited to the role? So with Forbes, I held a couple of roles, but by the end I was the working on um, 30 under 30 as associate editor. And in that way it was, you know, what are some cool new things that we can do with this franchise and connect with the community? What are some holes that we can fill here? Like, what are some opportunities? So I think regardless of how prescriptive your role is, like what are the opportunities that you can explore in it and um, what goes beyond your job description that you think the organization really needs. So I did the same thing at Lear Hippo where my job description was like four bullet points and now it's, you know, a lot longer than that because I looked for where are the opportunities where we can do a really good job with something and how can we pursue those. So I think building your role and being an entrepreneur um, and entrepreneur is all about, you know, looking for what you can be uniquely good at, what your company can do, and where can you fill in the holes with your skills and experience. So it started at four bullet points, and then you kind of build upon it, and then... A lot more than that. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and your current role at Lear Hippo, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it kind of started with a cold outreach type of situation? Yeah, so um, I had been at Forbes around two and a half years, and I really wanted to explore VC world, startup world, tech world, and that's partly because uh, at Forbes I was talking with founders and entrepreneurs, and I was really inspired by them. Oh my God, like they have so much hustle and like really have so much passion for what they're doing. So when I was looking for a new job, it was about um, how can I work more closely with founders, which took me to VC. So I did a search on LinkedIn about people who were in my network or extended network who worked at VC firms. And so I cold messaged my now boss uh, asking if she wanted to, it, it was a brain picking session. So I'm very lucky that she said yes. Um, now getting so many brain picking sessions myself. But what was really lucky was actually they had just uh, published a content marketing manager job description that week. So it was all about timing in this case. It got really lucky because it just, it, I didn't even really know what the job entailed, but it really fit with what I wanted to bring to my next role. So always send cold LinkedIn messages, but make them thoughtful. Don't spam people. LinkedIn cold messages. Um, but it, it speaks to like one of the ideas that I have around is like you are kind of one email away or one tweet away from connecting with people and uh, your story. And this is a living example of one outreach turned into an incredible opportunity and in, for you. Yeah. And I mean, even with Forbes, I did a couple of cold messages to people there as, uh, to see if I could learn more about the internship program. And then I had such a good time at the internship program. Then after graduation, I joined full time. So um, not being, and this ties into writing too, like really just not being afraid to take up space and like make the ask and just like jump into something, whether it's like publishing something that's going to further your career or sending a cold LinkedIn message, like we exist and like we have our like autonomy and authority to like ask questions and have thoughts and, you know, reach out to people. So you should just do it. Like there, what someone might either ignore you or say no, but that's the worst case scenario. So just publish something, send the email. You don't know unless you do it. While it's free and being generous and thoughtful and kind of appreciating other people's work and wanting to talk to them about that and that uh, people like that. Yeah, I try to do at least one to two brain picking sessions per week with people who are just looking to get into this type of role or um, founders or people looking to get into VC or in marketing roles. And what I found from those is it gives me a really interesting perspective on how people want to approach brand building in VC as like someone who's completely new and not in the ecosystem. For me, I have like all of these preset opinions now because I've been doing it for around three years. But People who are entering have questions for me that make me think about what I'm doing more um, because it's all about bringing like different perspectives in. So I learn as much from like my brain being picked as, you know, I hope they get from talking to me. Mm -hmm. But, but they, uh, maybe shouldn't approach it for a brain pick. Shouldn't say, can I pick your brain? Never say that. <laughs> oh, also, steal time. Don't say that either. Because you don't want to insinuate or put like the bad words you don't want to go with the negative. That's like always, that's like an English major rule. Don't go with the negative. Frame it in a way that's going to be like more approachable. Mm -hmm. Can I steal five minutes to pick your brain? No, 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 no. <laughs> don't do that. Um, and how are you thinking about, especially in the, like the digital world these days, uh, how are you thinking about being full stack, call it content marketer? And how are you kind of thinking about content 
career development types of things these days with such the digital world that we live in? So I think um, the way I approached, you know, every job was like, okay, you have to be good at your job, but what else are you doing? Um, And that I think really stresses people out because you can't just be good at your job these days. It really feels like you have to have a side project. You have to have volunteer experience. Are you learning something on the side? Are you doing more? Um, So I think part of that is recognizing that your organization is going to know everything you're doing. So if you're not talking about what you're doing at your company externally, you're not necessarily getting credit for like that work for a broader audience, right? So that's partly why people want to do side projects. It's building up other things that they can be known for, other ways to build their careers, and also open doors and opportunities. Uh, My newsletter, which I just launched, is called Found Objects, and I really wanted to use it as a conduit to build more of a brand around the thought process behind creating a brand. Um, And in that way, I get to talk with experts at like really amazing companies about how they approach it. So part of that was like building my own community and brand around this topic. I also do um, Buy Women VCs, which is a Twitter account, which amplifies content by women investors. And this also kind of fits into my thesis around, you know, amplifying content, supporting people and like creating a community around people who feel more confident and talking about their expertise. So those are two actual like publication content resources around that. And then I also volunteer for a nonprofit that works with tech companies um, to support volunteerism and employee giving called Raised by Us. So those are my three main side projects in addition to my role, but they all kind of tell a similar story around supporting people through content, learning and brands, and also um, giving back in a way, whether that's, you know, amplifying underhyped people who I think need more followers and attention or um, supporting tech companies as they're trying to look to give back. So there's a little bit of thought process behind, um, the side projects in addition to my role, which is creating content. Hmm. And it's interesting about uh, the the naming found objects. Yeah, how, how did you come up with the branding for that? Um, well, it's funny because I, the logo is uh, spells it out in little beads. I spent probably 20 minutes arranging little beads in a bowl because <laughs> I liked the idea of it feeling kind of uh, organic and random. I took like an art class in college. I don't have, you know, extensive art knowledge besides just appreciating it and trying to go to museums whenever I'm traveling. But the thought process behind the branding of it was really about, you know, giving attention and maybe appreciation to things that are aesthetic or outside of your wheelhouse that you might not pay attention to. So if you're walking on a sidewalk and you're so focused on your, you know, your to-do list and everything going on, you might miss other things that are interesting or like something on the sidewalk that's cool. So I really liked the concept of like keeping our eyes open and being curious, which is a big part of this job is not like accepting what the standard is, is really trying to be creative and think outside the box. So there's kind of a little bit of a thought process around all of that. So found objects, meaning, you know, here's something that I discovered that was maybe off the beaten path that I really appreciate because it's underhyped or undervalued. Love that. Okay. And that's interesting. You also mentioned about like, uh, so it's the idea of like, you have to not have to, but having side projects, having a voice, you know, volunteering, et cetera, is to some extent, it's a good thing to do, uh, Mm -hmm. to develop your career. I definitely, when I first kind of started, I wasn't really thinking about that, but it's interesting to hear how important it is. And 
Well, being well-rounded too. So, you know, when you're applying for jobs or you're, it's like applying for college where it's like, you, okay, you have good grades, you're good at what you do, but what else makes you interesting? What else tells a story about what you care about? And so I think as people are, you know, um, advancing in their career and moving around, they're thinking like, how can I bring my skills, but also how can I, you know, integrate more of what I'm passionate about, what my mission is. So, you know, if someone really cares about amplifying uh, diverse voices, maybe the next company they work at will like have a really thoughtful onboarding system and, you know, have D, E, and I like as part of the DNA. So I think the more you can kind of articulate what you care about um, as a person and as a human outside of work, it'll feed into like bringing your full self into your career later. So you're not compartmentalizing, you're just being like a more well-rounded, like human and professional and kind of everything you do. Because people feel like they get you from the other stuff you're doing outside of the office. Like your Twitter. Like my Twitter, which is honestly like, it's kind of like a live journal where I've just been thinking things in my head and I think maybe it's funny and then I tweet it. I think people are too strict generally about how they talk and how they might be perceived. So if you can talk like a human and people will connect with something, it's okay to make a joke on the internet. It's not going to make you seem unprofessional and make people feel like, oh, like she's a human and like, you know, has a career. So I think creating that well-roundedness in everything you do is almost always going to attract people to you versus like being like flat and only talking about the same things every single day. Mm Okay. And with content and marketing roles, is there any like skills or any, you know, how we have all have a little bit more time these days, uh, or at least we're at home a lot more these days, anything that you think is a good thing to start practicing, workshopping, learning new, new skills that are kind of in demand for content marketers, people in content? Yeah. So um, I chatted with someone the other day who was just like fresh out of school and was starting in a marketing role at a VC firm. And some of my advice to her was you need to read, you know, all of the newsletters to learn about the industry, but then also learn about your specialty because you can't be a great content marketer if you like really don't understand the market um, and like who your audience is and who you're speaking to. So advice would be read everything you can about the ecosystem and who your audience is and how, you know, successful content marketers operate. Also find community where you can workshop ideas and get resources. Um, I'm in a a content people group for Slack. So, um, you know, people will say, here's an open job posting or has anyone used this? So I think today it's so much about seeking out, creating and being involved in niche communities where you can run ideas by people and kind of pool all your resources to support each other. And then the last piece is talk about what you're doing and building in public is a very popular thing right now. Um, Like the thought process behind what goes into building a company. I want to see people who are new to content and brand and marketing roles, like blog about their first quarter or like talk about their first year and what they've learned, because that's going to make you like appear and build on your skills as a professional and expert in the space. Two years into my job at Lear Hippo, I wrote a post on everything I've learned about brand building in VC. And it's still like my most viewed post, but it was also the most scary to publish because this is like me as a thought leader. But I'm glad I did that because I can point people to that as like a building in public learning in front of people example. So those are like the three main keys I would give to people. And to repeat that, that is? 
Uh, read everything you can about the space. Find communities that are going to support you and you can learn from. And then uh, talk about what you're learning as you're going. And, uh, but the content does not make itself. It doesn't. I wish it did sometimes. <laughs> uh, and any, so you mentioned about how like having a drafts folder and uh, kind of keeping ideas and, and notes and stuff like that. Is there anything else that uh, you think that has been useful to you in terms of, you know, to be able to pull back old examples, old experiences, bring them forward, anything else that you think that you do that makes it, your job just a little bit easier? Well, one thing that I learned, um, you know, as a reporter was editing. So I think one thing that keeps a lot of people from publishing is having that extra set of eyes to review and edit. So although it might feel painful, the first thing you write is almost never going to be the best version of what you're writing. So um, I think I restarted the top section of my new first newsletter six times because I just was not happy with it. And I knew that I could do better. And the last version, I finally felt like, okay, this is actually what I wanted to say. So not feeling like you have to feel so attached to the first drafts of anything, because the more feedback you get, if you have an editor, they're going to have these outside perspectives. So if you're kind of stuck with an idea in your head forever, you have to unlock it by workshopping it, editing it, like getting it down on paper and then seeing if it actually makes sense or if it just makes sense in your head. So writing and rewriting and accepting feedback is a big part of actually getting things out there. Cool. Sounds good. Um, is there anything else that you think that we missed, Natalie, as people are you know, doing side projects, putting themselves out there on the internet, more content roles? Yeah. Anything else that you think that we missed? Um, I think we have to assume that risk comes with life. And if you're not taking risks, then you're playing it probably a little too safe. So it might be really scary to launch something or write something or, you know, say, I'm going to do this now and then worry that no one's going to listen or no one's going to read it. But you're probably going to be surprised by the payoffs that will come from doing something that's a little bit scary. Um, when I launched by Women VCs, you know, I was committing to every single day checking an account multiple times because I believed in the mission. And I think not being scared and trusting yourself is a huge part of making content and writing and, you know, being a thought leader. Um, so even though, you know, when I launched the account, when I launched the newsletter, when I started joining Grace by Us, it was a little scary. It was committing to something else on top of, you know, my day to day and taking on new things at work all the time as well. But if something isn't a little scary, then it's probably not entirely worth pursuing. Sometimes the most rewarding things have the most risk and are the scariest to actually get out there. But by the time you hear feedback or, you know, meet people who you've reached through those different channels, it makes it really meaningful. But that initial like, oh, my God, what am I doing? What am I getting myself into um, is negated when you start realizing that you're making an impact. And so each time, each one of those new projects, each you felt that risk that here we go. It was, um, oh, I'm committing myself to another thing uh, because I never want to not deliver. You always want to deliver to your fullest capacity and not overpromise and underdeliver. And that's kind of like one of my biggest concerns when I'm taking on something else. So 
with these side projects and then also with my job, like I'm always very clear. Like, I think this is what's reasonable. I'm not writing a daily newsletter. I'm not writing a weekly newsletter. I can do a month. I'm going to do a monthly newsletter. Um, so I guess my last like parting piece of advice would be trusting yourself, knowing that taking risks is going to have a huge payoff, whether that's switching, you know, industries, whether that's starting to publish, um, whether that's launching something because, um, if you don't do it, you're not going to know. And if you do do it, then you might have, you know, more success and a bigger community because you've created other channels for people to get to know you, um, and to grow as a person and as a professional. Amazing. Love that. All right. And then, so Twitter newsletter, please spell those out for people so that they can follow, learn and, and more. Yeah, so my name is too long for a Twitter handle, which is super annoying. So I'm an at symbol and underscore and then Sportelli, which is S-P-O-R-T-E-L-L-I. And then it'll be really easy. You go to my Twitter page and I've pinned my newsletter there. So um, you can subscribe to that and then also follow Lear Hippo on our channels, which are also tagged in my bio. Also, make it really easy for people to find you. Um, and find all the things that you're working on. And that's Twitter bio is you think is a place that people should look to improve a little bit more. Improve your Twitter bio. Um, people should know what we, what you do from your Twitter bio. Some people don't have that. And then also your pinned tweet should be like the thing that you want to convert the most. Um, because this is the most real estate you have on a Twitter page. So make use of it, make use of like every inch of that. Um, how can you direct people to what is going to be most important to your career growth? Amazing. Thank you so much, Natalie. Really appreciate it. Thank you, David. This is fun. Great. Thank you. Hey, friend. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. Wanted to also let you know about my monthly newsletter called One Email Away, where I fundamentally believe that we are all one email away from new opportunities. And if there's a way that I could potentially help you to connect with other people, I would love to do that. So one email away, um, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. You can also see the one email away section, but just want to take this moment to say thank you for, for listening to this episode. Really excited for us to build and grow our portfolio careers together. 